You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. So eight weeks ago, Pastor James began this series and he called it Blessed, a journey through the Beatitudes. And so this is the final week, and we're going to close up this series with a, a passage of Scripture that really is not the most popular. In fact, we're going to look closer at the, the last and probably the least favorite of all of the Beatitudes. And it's not popular here in the United States probably because it has to deal with persecution. Nobody likes that word, persecution. And so we find ourselves faced with another teaching from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount where we're confronted with that upside-down thinking. You know, it's contrary to the way that we think or maybe the way we've taught that our Christian walk should be. It goes against all those things. And he tells us that we're blessed when we're persecuted for righteousness. So I've titled this message, persecuted for righteousness. And our text is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence that's here this morning. I pray that our minds would be alert and that our hearts would be open to receive from you. Teach us today by your Holy Spirit as we look at this passage that may be kind of difficult to understand, but I pray that you would open our eyes of our understanding and that this message would fall into good soil, fertile soil, and it would bear forth much fruit in our lives. We give you this time and we ask that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look back over the previous Beatitudes, it's clear to see the characteristics of Jesus displayed in them. And because we're being conformed into his image, then these same characteristics should be a display of our life as well. We should have these same characteristics. Now, imagine, if you will, a Christian man. He's poor in spirit. He's not self-asserting, not aggressive. On the contrary, he's meek. He doesn't have an exalted opinion of himself. And he hungers and he thirsts after righteousness. He longs to do what is right. I mean, he seeks to treat other people the way that he would like to be treated. And so he's merciful. He doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't seek revenge. And so he's pure in heart. And that's not just on the outside, but it's on the inside. And so he's a peacemaker. And he doesn't go around stirring up strife, but he seeks to bring opposing parties together. He's a peacemaker. Now, what do you think the attitude of the world would be towards such an individual? Do you think that they would admire him Perhaps they would seek to make, them, make him their president. Well, in this upside-down world, although you think that the world would embrace him and, and uh, commend him and honor him, we find that the opposite is true and that the world will persecute him, insult him, slander him, and mock him because he walks in righteousness. And then Jesus tells us that We're blessed when these things happen to us because of righteousness. And so I ask, well, how can this make me happy? And Jesus goes on and he says that 
great is your reward in heaven. And that there were prophets before us that were persecuted in the same way. And so again, I have to ask, well, how does that make me happy? How many have ever sat down and wrote a list, we call it a bucket list, how many have ever sat down to write those things that you want to do or accomplish, you know, before you kick the bucket? Well, I know I've thought about it, and maybe like me, you want to go on an African safari. Or maybe you'd like to climb up Mount Kilimanjaro. Maybe you're not quite as adventurous as me, and maybe you just want to see the leaves change in Vermont. Or you want to visit Boston in the fall. All those things are great things, and we all have things that we want to add to the list. Well, Jesus isn't telling us that we need to go out looking for persecution. You know, I can't think of anybody that would, as they're writing out this list, say to themselves, you know what, I sure would like to experience persecution. Well, Jesus isn't telling us to go out and look for it, but he is saying that we're going to experience it. And what he's saying is that we can consider ourselves blessed even when we are persecuted. Now, what does that word persecuted mean? Well, it comes from a Greek word, and forgive me if you speak Greek because I'm not going to pronounce it right. The word dioko sounds almost like a car brand, you know, a Toyota dioko. But persecute comes from that Greek word, and it means to pursue, to prosecute, to persecute with repeated acts of enmity to press in on, kind of like a wine press, to press in on. And so we find that when we obtain or we uh, pursue righteousness, that the Word of God tells us that persecution is going to follow us. And that's because the world is opposed to God and His righteousness. So this morning I have three points to help us understand how we can consider ourselves blessed when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And the first point is, we're blessed because we are like Christ. I love this passage of Scripture found in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 21. It says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example for you, so you should follow in His, in his footsteps. Isn't that cool? We get to follow in the footsteps of Jesus because he left an example of suffering for us. Well, true righteousness is being like Christ in character. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, that this blessing comes to those who are persecuted because of righteousness. But then in verse 11, he tells us that blessed are you when you're insulted and persecuted and people say all kinds of evil things about you because of me. And so we see that Jesus equates righteousness with himself. And so being truly righteous, we can be a reflection of Jesus Christ to all those around us. We are righteous because we are in Christ now, someone needs to hear that this morning, that you are righteous. And it's not because of the things that you do. It's because you have placed your faith, your belief, your complete trust in Jesus Christ. And His righteousness has been imputed or thrust upon you. So we have been made righteous. Now, listen to me. You don't become more and more righteous. The Bible says that you are holy you have a new nature. And the Spirit of the living God is now living inside of you. We have been clothed, as it were, in the righteousness of Christ. And this righteousness is complete and it's perfect because it doesn't come from you. It comes from God. So we have been made righteous. And so now, as a result of that, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is working on us, and that work is called sanctification. And that's just the process of growing up to be more like Jesus. So, the Spirit of God is working on us, 
And it's God's purpose that each of us would grow up to mature spiritually so that we would be more and more and more Christ-like. So that when those things press in on us, when the persecutions come and those trials come, that the characteristics of Jesus would be what is manifested out of our life so that we can be that reflection of Jesus Christ. I came across this quote from Rick Warren. It's in his devotional called Daily Hope. Rick writes, You must make a, a counterculture decision to focus on becoming more like Jesus. Otherwise, other forces like peers, parents, co-workers, and culture will try to mold you into its image. So we have a choice. We're being conformed into the image of Christ, but that choice is we can continue to walk according to that old pattern of the world, that, that learned behavior, or we can submit ourselves to God and walk according to the Holy Spirit who is living inside of us and directing our lives. So we can choose to reflect Christ. So we are to reflect his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, his meekness, gentleness, self-control, and yes, even his long-suffering. We are to reflect his glory, and it's as the Spirit of the Lord works in us that we become more and more and more like Christ, and we reflect his glory even more. Now, as we walk in righteousness, something happens. We find that all of a sudden we are in direct conflict with the world and the worldly system. Now, the world would accept its own. It loves its own. In fact, it commends the noble, you know, those that are moral according to its standards. But those that walk in righteousness, we find that they face persecution, in Acts chapter 9, Saul is confronted by the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And Jesus states that Saul's persecution of the early Christians is actually against Christ himself. So we see that when the world persecutes us, actually, in fact, they are persecuting Jesus. And when they reject us, they're not rejecting us, but in fact, they're rejecting Christ. So what's our application for this first point? Well, we need to ask ourselves, am I reflecting Christ? Is my life Christ-like? Am I growing and maturing daily? When others look at me, do they see Jesus? Point number two, we're blessed because we're not of this world. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 15 and verse 18. He says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the words that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things will happen to you on account of my name. So since we are now in Christ, we have the assurance by Jesus that we are not of this world. On the contrary, the book of Hebrews says that we're foreigners, we're nomads on this earth. And the Apostle Peter says that this is only a temporary residence, that we are aliens. <laughs> so don't get too comfortable in the ways of the world because we don't belong here. And don't be surprised when you encounter persecution for the sake of righteousness. You know, when we witness the abuse of the world against Christians, it's evidence that we're not of this world. And the Word of God invites us then to change our, our thinking, change that, that meaning of what we think it means to be blessed. So we can say that happiness is not 
belonging to this world. Now, it shouldn't surprise us when the world rejects us. But sometimes that persecution comes from places that we don't expect. And we see that we will be persecuted by the world, the religious, and even our own family. And there's many examples in the Bible that show how the righteous are persecuted. We see Daniel was persecuted by the heathen. Jeremiah was persecuted by the religious leaders. Joseph was persecuted by his own brothers. Now, here in the United States, we've kind of been sheltered. I mean, the only persecution I've had is I've been made fun of, called a hallelujah. You know, maybe I've lost a job promotion or two because I wouldn't go along with things in the office. But I think right on the doorstep, we're going to see more persecution. You look at the things in the news that are starting to take place, and we're hearing about Christians being persecuted, and it's getting closer and closer to where we are now, and we're not used to it. But in other parts of the world, persecution is their normal. Ultimately, we see from the Word of God where this opposition comes from. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So if we are in Christ and we're not of this world, then we have automatically gained a new enemy. You see, the enemy wants to kill steal and destroy and he's going to use anyone or anything in an attempt to destroy God's children so what's our application well again we need to ask ourselves: does my life fit too comfortably in the world examine our heart examine am I in the world or is the world in me point number three We are blessed because our future is secure. In Christ, we are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. So we are blessed. We're happy. Because although we temporarily suffer, our reward in Christ is secure. We are citizens in the heavenly kingdom. Our citizenship has been transferred from this kingdom of darkness, this domain of darkness, and we've been transferred to the kingdom of light. We're God's children, and we can rest in that hope. Jesus came to give us life and to restore that relationship that we had lost with our heavenly Father. And this temporal living arrangement is going to pass away. And all the persecution, the trials that we suffer right here in this short time on earth are going to pass away and we have all of eternity ahead of us. And that's our hope. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed later. Now, sometimes we get tripped up on that word later because we live in a time and a, a society where we want instant gratification. You know, we see something broken and we want it fixed right away. You know, maybe we come into a counselor and we have 20 years of sinful living piled up behind us and we're carrying all this baggage into the counselor and we want it fixed in the five minutes that we give the counselor to work through our problems. You know, we we want that instant gratification. And this is what Paul's saying is that later, he says... Let me find it. It says, we might suffer right now, but later we will see His glory. And that's the hope that the Lord has promised us. And that hope will not disappoint us. We must be intentional, though, on our belief. Intentional on where we place our trust. It's when we fully trust in the Word of God that we see that 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is true. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at our troubles that we can see now, but rather fix our gaze on those things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now are going to pass away, 
they'll soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see, those things will last forever. Let me tell you a story that happened in 1956. Five missionaries, Wycliffe missionaries, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Pete Fleming, and Roger Udarian. They set out on a mission to take the gospel to a remote a part of the Amazon jungle in, in Ecuador. And Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, recounts this story. She says, Jim had always hoped to have the opportunity to enter the territory of an unreached tribe. The Alka tribe is in that category. It was a fierce group whom no one had succeeded in meeting without being killed. After the discovery of their whereabouts, Jim and the four other missionaries entered Alka territory. After an initial friendly contact with three of the tribe, the five were speared to death. Elizabeth further recalls that the night before the five missionaries boarded their Cessna plane to head out with unknown results on their mission, they prayed and they sang a hymn together. And she vividly remembers them singing the third stanza of the hymn, We Rest on Thee. Let me read you the words. We rest on Thee, our shield and our defender. Thine is the battle. Thine shall be the praise. When passing through the gates of pearly splendor, victors we rest on Thee through endless days. Now this tribe, the Alcas, for years they had killed each other in merciless feuds. In fact, in every situation where a dispute would happen, they would kill each other with spears. It's estimated that 60% of the deaths in this culture happened by murder. Shortly after the death of the missionaries, two of the widows, Elizabeth Elliot and Marjorie Saint, along with their children and Rachel, who was Nate's sister, they continued to pursue the Alcas. And they relentlessly pursued them, and they were able to finally share the gospel of Jesus with them. And there was such a transformation in the lives of these tribesmen that they stopped killing each other. And they began to forgive each other and love each other. God was doing a remarkous, just um, that, uh, word slipped my mind. The restoration, that's the word. He did a restoration in the lives of the tribesmen where they loved each other and forgave each other, but also a restoration between the tribesmen and the family of the five missionaries. As they were growing up, the children that, they were baptized by the men that had killed their fathers. In fact, even today, they, along with their grandchildren, see the Alcas as family, and they call the one that led the killings on that day they call him grandfather. Years later, the wife of Pete Fleming revisited the site of the massacre because she wanted to get closure for some grief that she was experiencing. And as she conversed with the natives that had participated in the murders, the natives described that after they had killed the foreigners, that they saw other foreigners up in the canopy of the trees, and they were singing this hadn't come up in conversation before. And so the family pursued it a little farther, trying to get more details. And what they said was that in the canopy of the trees, they saw these other foreigners dressed in long clothing, singing. And when they saw this, they knew that what they had done was completely wrong. The families believed that the tribe saw a, a vision or were able to see an angelic host, much the way that Stephen, when he was being martyred and stoned to death, that he saw. Elizabeth Elliot went on to write this. She says, We have proved beyond any doubt that he means what he says. His grace is sufficient. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We pray that if any 
anywhere are fearing that the cost of discipleship is too great, that they may be given to glimpse the treasure in heaven, promised to all who forsake. This was the heart and the vision of those five missionaries. They had fixed their gaze on those things that although they're not seen, they are eternal. Long before his death, Jim Elliott was criticized for devoting his life to becoming a missionary, for leaving the comfort of the United States and taking his small children with him to Ecuador. In response, this is what he said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So as Christians walking on this earth, we must always remember three things. Who I I am, where I'm going, and what awaits me when I get there. And this is the example that we see in the Apostle Paul as he sees his ministry coming to a close. He writes in his letter to Timothy, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And that prize is not just for me, but it's for all who eagerly look forward to his, to his appearing. So what is our application of this third point? Well, since my life is not in this world, how do I react to persecution? First point is, do not retaliate. Blessed are, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Next, don't hold resentment. You know, we're also like Christ when we forgive. And don't be depressed. The Word says, instead, rejoice. Because we're in good company. We're in the company of Jesus, the prophets, and the apostles. So we rejoice, not in the persecution, but in the great reward. I saw Francis Chan use this illustration of a rope one time in one of his sermons, and it gives us a great perspective of our time here on earth. So just imagine, if you will, that this rope represents a timeline of our existence. Now, because we're in Christ, this line goes on and on and on forever, through all eternity. But you see this little red part right here? This represents our time here on this earth. Just a few short years, and then we have all of this to look forward to. But it blows me away how some people, all they think about is this little part right here. You know, they say, oh man, if I can just get to this part right here, I'm going to work and work and save and save and save and save, and then right here I'm going to finally get to relax and maybe I'll travel. Maybe I'll get to sit by the lake. Oh, I just can't wait to get to this part right here. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? What about all this? You know, why should I spend my life right here in this red part, you know, trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, trying to enjoy all I can, you know, saving and scrimping and storing up treasures here on this earth, only to put it in pockets that have holes in them. The world and all these things are going to pass away, so we need to store up treasures in heaven. In Matthew chapter 28, After his resurrection, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the commands I have given you. And above all this, be sure that I am with you always, even to the end of the age." You know, we can boldly proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, not only with our words, but with our lives, because the characteristics of Jesus, they are manifested throughout our life. 
And so we are a reflection of our Lord Jesus Christ to everyone we come in contact with, all those around us. But Jesus promises that not only will he be with us, you know, but we're going to face persecution. And he doesn't promise to rescue us out of that persecution. In fact, he says that even as you go through the fires of persecution, I am there with you, no matter what you face. So like Paul, I want to live my life for this mission. I want to not think about all that stuff, the things that I could enjoy right now, but I want to fix my gaze onto that moment when I cross the finish line. Like a runner, I want to fix my gaze on that moment when I see God face to face. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's our hope. It's an eternal hope, and it's a hope that does not disappoint it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take this message, Lord, that it would find that place in our soil of our heart, that it would bring forth fruit. Thank you, Lord, that we can be like you, that you have made us righteous, and that we can reflect your characteristics in this world. Even when we are persecuted, we can consider ourselves blessed because we are in you, and you are in us, and we will be with you wherever you are forever and ever. Amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.